in the Satipatthana Sutta, the fourth foundation of mindfulness. We've been talking about the various perspectives that, Dharma perspectives that are offered and the frameworks through which we can know our experience. And these frameworks essentially help to point us in the direction of freedom. One of these frameworks offered in the fourth foundation is a framework of the seven factors of awakening. This is a beautiful list of qualities, of wholesome qualities that we could say are supports for awakening. The list consists of the beautiful qualities of mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture, also sometimes framed more as rapt interest, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. These qualities are cultivated as we practice wise mindfulness. We can see how some of this works in our practice, just the meeting of experience with wise mindfulness, exploring what is this, what is this, what is this. In some ways, this practice of mindfulness is a practice of equanimity learning how to be balanced, non-reactive to things as they are arising. And this, of course, cultivates concentration, stillness of mind. So these, these factors, there's different ways they're understood. One of them I like uh, from my teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya. He says that you know, they, they kind of flow one to another in a way, you know, that we, if we start with wise mindfulness, begin meeting our experience, we begin to naturally investigate what's helpful, what's not helpful, what leads to ease and peace and what leads to more contraction and more suffering. And this is the second factor of investigation, And this, these two together begin to arouse energy in the direction of practice. We have a, perhaps a sense of confidence that arises and the direction of our minds orients towards the Dharma. The energy that arises around practice directs us to the practice. And so my teacher says that these three, these first three factors, are kind of the work of our practice. We engage with these three, mindfulness, investigation, and energy. And the rest of the seven factors are the fruits of the practice. We can't make them happen so much, but that very naturally as we investigate and have the energy directed to the practice, a sense of delight and um, rapt interest begins to arise around our experience. We get really curious about what's going on. And the stability of mind begins to create a base of tranquility. But again, it's not that we necessarily say, be tranquil. We don't do tranquility as much as it arises. And concentration arises as a result of mindfulness and energy coming together and stabilizing mindfulness over time. And all of them together, the mindfulness, the energy, the tranquility and the concentration create the conditions for equanimity to arise. 
And so in a way, the seven factors, the first three are our work. And we, those three create the conditions for the others to arise. And so that's one way to understand these seven factors. And yet, it is also possible to do practices to support all of these factors. Some time later in the retreat, we will be exploring equanimity practice in the Brahma Viharas in the afternoon, consciously orienting the mind towards equanimity, in particular equanimity around relationship in that case. And then Philip was pointing the other day to maybe for just short moments of time being able to incline the mind towards tranquility, letting thought just fall away for even a few seconds at a time. That may be kind of a way to orient towards this enlightenment factor of tranquility. And so both they are results of the practice and we can incline and orient towards their cultivation. In the Satipatthana Sutta, the instructions around these seven factors, they're pretty simple, these instructions. I'll read you a section, the section about mindfulness. And as is usual for these lists, it's repeated for each of the factors. And so I'll read the instructions for mindfulness, and then you can recognize or understand that this applies to all seven of the factors. There being the mindfulness enlightenment factor present, one understands. There is the mindfulness enlightenment factor in me. Or there being no mindfulness enlightenment factor present, one understands. There is no mindfulness enlightenment factor in me. And one also understands how there comes to be the arising of the unarisen mindfulness enlightenment factor and how the arisen mindfulness enlightenment factor comes to fulfillment by development. So basically, noticing the presence or absence of mindfulness of the enlightenment factor of mindfulness, and I'll describe a little bit of my understanding of the distinction between simple mindfulness and the enlightenment factor of mindfulness. And how it, how it arises, noticing it's arising, and noticing how it becomes strengthened, how that enlightenment factor becomes powerful. One um, of my favorite authors is a monk. He died some years ago, um, Nyanaponika Tara. And he wrote an article called The Power of Mindfulness. It was very inspiring to me that as mindfulness strengthens, It's not something we do so much as it becomes a state that we are living in that orients us towards the Dharma, orients us towards understanding and wisdom. And so it really becomes a power in us. And that, to me, when it becomes continuous, stable, is when it becomes the foundation for awakening. And so these simple practices, is the factor present? Is it absent? How does it arise and how does it come to fulfillment? Again, kind of highlighting the non-judgmental nature of what the practice, the practice the Buddha taught was. He says, notice when it's present, notice when it's absent. The very noticing of that begins to 
instruct our hearts, really. Begins to teach our hearts what's helpful and what's not helpful. As we sit here in this room practicing together, I think you all know when mindfulness is present and you are in the place of just witnessing. Maybe it's witnessing something really painful and challenging and yet the heart doesn't clench necessarily around it when mindfulness is strong. When mindfulness is strong, when there's a curiosity and balance of mind, the heart can feel relaxed, even if something difficult is happening. And so we can notice, we can notice this. And when, when there is a struggle, we can also be aware of that struggle and perhaps recognize, oh yes, this is caught. Caught is happening. We can be, we can be aware when the factor of mindfulness is not as strong as it sometimes is and not as a way to beat ourselves up or to flagellate ourselves and tell ourselves we're a poor meditator, but simply to begin to recognize what leads towards awakening, what leads towards freedom, and what leads towards dukkha. So the, the, the language in these texts is so balanced. Like notice it's present. Notice it's absent. Very naturally as we notice its presence and absence, the mind begins to orient more and more in the direction of freedom. I think this is, I think this is partly the way we just work as organisms. Maybe I mentioned this before, I don't remember if I talked about this in the hall or if I've just talked about it in some of the meetings. When we turn our attention with mindfulness to um, challenge and feel the heart relax around that with mindfulness, the, the heart moves in that direction because I think very inherently, very deeply, our organism wants to orient towards well-being. And kind of poignantly, our strategies, and Greg was talking about this last night, all of our strategies of how we are in the world, well, they're, they're trying to get us to well-being, but because we're not seeing clearly, because delusion is, pr- is present, we mistakenly think that these patterns of greed, aversion, delusion, will somehow be what will lead us towards well-being. But when we, with mindfulness, begin to open, with wise mindfulness, begin to open to what's actually going on, the heart begins to understand at a deeper level what lies in the direction of ease and peace and deeper well-being and what lies in the direction of more suffering. And so I think that the instructions in this teaching on the four foundations of mindfulness is really counting on this very natural process that as we turn our attention with mindfulness to our experience, our heart gets the lessons of well-being and begins to very naturally move in that direction. It's a wonderful thing. It's a really wonderful thing. So tonight I uh, don't want to try to go over all of these seven factors of awakening. I'd like to just explore the practice of mindfulness. What does it mean to recognize the presence of the mindfulness 
factor of awakening? What does it mean to recognize it's not present? And so this is a, a different level in a way of a talk on mindfulness. Often when we talk about mindfulness, we're talking about, you know, how do we pay attention? How do we cultivate this capacity to be attentive to our experience? And here what I'd like to explore is how do we recognize mindfulness itself? How do we know this quality itself? This is what the Buddha is suggesting. Recognize mindfulness. Get to know mindfulness. Get to know what happens when it's not there. And so in a way, this is encouraging us to investigate mindfulness itself. And I will give a heads up on this talk because very often in my own language, um, I'd say influenced by Saito Utejaniya, I often use the word awareness as synonymous with mindfulness. And so I may slip between those two. In this talk, I mean the same thing. I, I'm not using I'm not using them in a different way. When I say awareness, I mean mindfulness. One of the ways to investigate or be curious about mindfulness in this way of noticing its presence and absence is to basically begin to explore both sides of a phenomenon that's really common. You have all experienced this many times today, the wandering mind. The wandering mind is essentially mindfulness going away. When the mind returns from wandering, mindfulness is back. And so we can look at, we can kind of flip the, the wandering mind around and instead of thinking of it as a, you know, an issue or a problem, it's like, oh, the wandering mind is helping me to explore the presence and absence of mindfulness. I've actually used this to my advantage. <laughs> Anytime the mind wanders and I wake up again, uh, I reflect, oh great, I've got an opportunity to see mindfulness re-arising. This is, you know, this is what it says to do in the Satipatthana Sutta. Notice mindfulness arising. So there's a lot we can learn about our minds as we explore this, the mindfulness coming and going. First of all, we see um, much of what we see as we watch mindfulness coming and going are the patterns that tend to stick us to them so that we lose mindfulness. So we get familiar with kind of familiar or common ways that um, we get stuck. We also see in spades that the mind is out of control. You know, it's not our fault. It's a process unfolding. Sometimes mindfulness is present, sometimes mindfulness is absent. And yet there are conditions that can be inserted into this stream, one of them being sitting here in the room and listening to a Dharma talk on exploring mindfulness coming and going, that will create the conditions for curiosity, investigation, exploration of what's going on, and things change. Feels like I'm doing the practice. And yet really it's a process tumbling on, informed, conditioned by many, many other situations, conditions, phenomena. And so, you know, you know, we do. We sit down to meditate and we you know, try. I'm going to be present, you know. If there's an I in there, that I wants to be present some of the time at least. When we sit down particularly, it's like, yes, I'm going to do this. I'm going to stay present. But how long does that last, you know? If there were an I who had control, we wouldn't lose mindfulness. It's not self. 
And so we see this. And I think too, this exploration in particular around watching mindfulness come and go, at least for me, has really helped to lessen the, the, the judging mind around the fact that the mind does wander. You know, the moment that mindfulness returns, that's an opportunity to see mindfulness re-arising. When I, re- I began reorienting around that as a practice, what does it feel like for mindfulness to come back? You know, in that moment right there, that's a really amazing moment too. I mean, it's like, who did that? Again, that too is not self. I mean, you're just sitting there lost, you know, and suddenly, whoo, mindfulness comes back. And so if we can, if there can be an interest in what does it feel like for mindfulness to re-arise, then there's less of a tendency, at least I found for myself, less of a tendency to be frustrated or judge myself for having gotten lost in thought. It's like, oh, another opportunity. Who can I see mindfulness re-arising? Can I see what happens? And so this, for me, is one of the best places to begin to explore mindfulness itself. The moment that mindful, that we remember, we've been lost in thought and we remember mindfulness. Mindfulness remembers itself, actually. It's not we remember it. Mindfulness arises spontaneously, effortlessly. It's fantastic. We don't have to do it. It's just there. And so in that moment, what is that like? I think I mentioned this the other day, that in that moment of mindfulness re-arising, you know, sometimes it, it, it can take some time to attune to this investigation. At least that's what I found, that when I started exploring this, it would initially be, I'd be back and I'd already be back with the breath before I even recognized mindfulness had returned. It's kind of like there was this automatic thing that happened. It's like the mind came back into mindfulness and some, you know, knee-jerk process of practicing mindfulness with the breath had already taken me back to the breath before I even noticed, oh, I'm aware. That's kind of an amazing thing too, isn't it? And so I just began being curious. Oh, what, you know, okay, so wherever it was that I woke up recognizing mindfulness is back, I kind of just was curious, okay, what is it? What is it like to be aware now? What is that experience? And as we explore it, particularly in the moment when mindfulness comes back, the more we get curious about that moment itself, that moment of mindfulness coming back itself, there's kind of like a contrast between what it's like now for mindfulness to be present and what it was like just a moment before when we were lost in thought. And so we can begin to get a flavor of the difference, that difference of the, of the light coming on, of mindfulness re-arising. So just beginning to notice that, getting a sense of that quality of awareness, of mindfulness itself. You know, we usually cultivate mindfulness with what I call, perhaps, you know, there's a phrase in the Abhidhamma, I believe this comes from the Abhidhamma, the Buddhist psychology, um, of there being kind of two different ways mindfulness is described. One is called prompted mindfulness, and one is called unprompted mindfulness. Prompted mindfulness is when we're already mindful and we're reminding ourselves, be aware, pay attention, know what you're paying attention to. That's a lot of the way we think cultivating mindfulness happens and it's a lot of what we do here. When we are aware, we just gently incline towards continuing awareness often by attending to some specific experience like the breath or connecting with an object of attention. 
We, we prompt, we remind ourselves to be aware. The noting practice is kind of a prompting practice in a way. Just reminding ourselves, aware, being aware. Saito Utejaniya uses that reminders, am I aware? What am I aware of? Those are prompts for mindfulness. We don't even remember to ask the question unless we're already aware. So there's this prompted mindfulness. The unprompted mindfulness is this spontaneous arising of mindfulness. And this is a way that we can begin to also cultivate mindfulness, to recognize this quality of mindfulness re-arising. What we see as we start to get familiar with that is what I've I've seen in my own practice around this is that getting familiar with the moment of mindfulness returning, it's like the familiarity with that moment begins to point out to us that it happens way more than we think it does. It's It's happening all over the place. It's just that frequently what happens as those little bubbles of mindfulness come up is that 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 mindfulness will re-arise and then it'll land on something. We see a bird and then we start thinking about birds and what kind of bird it is. And it's, you know, there's been a moment that there's been a little flash of, of awareness and then very quickly it goes because we're not so attuned to feeling that moment of mindfulness arising. And yet when we can start to get attuned to it, it's like the familiarity with it makes it kind of point itself out to us. This one practice is my favorite daily life practice. Just simply noticing mindfulness returning over and over and over and over again as we begin to see how how much that actually happens. It's like it weaves this thread of little blips of mindfulness throughout our day. And here, you know, here we actually have an opportunity to really string those together into a strong, powerful continuity of mindfulness, the awakening factor of mindfulness. So in that moment of remembering, Just see if you can be curious about aware. What is this awareness? Get familiar with that. It's also useful, I find, um, to explore when you know that you're aware, when you are aware, kind of being curious about what that's like. So, you know, you could play with this from time to time. If you are in a place where you're with the breath or you're attending to a flow of experience, you're knowing, you're knowing, uh, you know, pretty clearly that there's a momentum. You know, just check in. What is awareness. There's awareness and there's what's known in awareness. There are different kind of sides to the equation. There's the, the, the awareness and what's known. And often in our mindfulness practice we can emphasize a little bit what's known and not be quite as familiar with the awareness itself. And so the practice that Sairo Tejaniya suggests of just, am I aware? You know, as I said, you know, if you ask that question, you are already aware. When I teach this, I often get the question, what's the point? Why bother? You know, you're already aware. Why bother asking the question? The point of asking the, the question is to highlight or curious about Aware, what is aware? You know, we don't often kind of 
get curious about what awareness actually is, we're kind of orienting to be curious about what we are aware of, not that we are aware. And that question, ah, aware, am I aware? Kind of highlights or encourages a curiosity about awareness itself. And so you could play with that, you know. Maybe the question could be something like, what is awareness? Or sometimes I just uh, I just use aware, aware. When I first started practicing with this, I knew I was aware. It was clear I knew I was aware, but I did not know how I knew I was aware. What I'd like to suggest that may happen for you also. I'd like to suggest you not try to figure out how you know that you're aware but rather know that you're aware and just take it in. Yeah, I know I'm aware. It's kind of mysterious. I know that I'm aware. Just take that in, that you know that you're aware. If you explore that over and over again, there begins to kind of be a recognition or an understanding of what awareness is over time. Trying to... I often suggest it's not like turn around and look at the awareness like this. You know, it's not like turning back. It's more like stepping back. Aware. What is aware? Kind of stepping back and knowing that you are aware and just getting familiar with that experience. Right now, do you know that you're aware? Just know that. That's enough right now. Do you know that you're aware? So the exploration of mindfulness itself can happen in that moment when we recognize mindfulness returning. We can also be curious about the other side of the equation. Where does mindfulness get lost? Where does it go out? Where does it get hooked? There's so many ways that we get lost. We probably each have some very familiar, habitual ways that mindfulness gets lost. And so I'd just like to explore a couple of thoughts about this. So getting curious, first of all, getting curious about how you lose awareness, how it happens, where does it happen, when does it happen? This curiosity is not, again, it's not about trying to force some kind of continuity. In fact, it's almost, it's, it's very different. It's, it's, it's more about, oh, I'm losing awareness in that situation. Let's see if we can understand what happens there that awareness goes away. A kind of curiosity about, you know, we're mindful and then whew, the sand dribbles out of the bucket. It's like, how does that happen? So curiosity about that we can start to recognize perhaps places or locations. You know, one one thing I began noticing in my retreats is that there seem to be particular um, activities perhaps or places in the retreat that I would lose awareness. You know, washing dishes or maybe um, going into my room, you know, It's like if I had a single room. If I had a double, it was actually an incentive to continue mindfulness in the room because my my roommate might walk in at any moment. But when I was alone in my room, it's like I could close the door and go, you know, what's that about? You know, what's going on there? May lose a may. You may find that the the bathroom is a is a mindfulness uh, drain or. Or, you know, your yogi jobs. Or, or if you decide to take a walk sometime instead of doing the formal walking meditation. Just notice for yourself what aspects of your day do you tend to lose mindfulness. Not to judge it, but rather as we start to notice the areas or places or ways that we lose mindfulness, then as we're heading into that activity, you know, or heading to that place, You lose mindfulness as you're going to your room. 
or I'll tell, I'll tell a story of mine from my practice. I began noticing on one retreat, I was doing this kind of practice, where do I lose mindfulness? And I, I kept noticing that I was waking up staring at myself in the mirror. And I had lost mindfulness. But I, I, I was waking up in, in the staring at myself in the mirror. And it's like, okay, for some reason I lose awareness here. So I just started being curious about that. Not trying to force myself. So this is, this is not about doubling down and trying to force yourself to stay present while you're in front of a mirror or wherever it is, in your room. It's more about curiosity. What, what is it that happens here? And so, you know, I just explored this. It took a long time. Well, a long time on a month-long retreat. It probably took, I don't know, a week or so for me to really begin to see what was going on here. And it wasn't like some, like, you know, deep-seated longing to be seen or something like that, you know. It was, it was just that I had a habit of looking at the, myself in the mirror, and I was unaware. You know, I would, I was, it was interesting. At one point, I recognized the place where I really saw this as I was, like, curious about being in the, in the bathroom, you know, where the mirror was. And, and, you know, of course the mind will blame things. It's like, at first I was blaming Spirit Rock for putting mirrors everywhere. You know, it's their fault that I'm losing mindfulness. <laughs> and then, you know, then I began to just recognize, okay, you know, this is in the mind here. What's going on? You know, and I, I would notice that, that you know, I, I could notice I was washing my hands and I hadn't yet looked up at the mirror. And then I would notice I was staring at myself in the mirror. I was like, oh, wow, look at that. Missed it again. Wow, isn't that amazing? You know, so again, it was, it was, it was uh, you know, just the curiosity of the, the, just the amazement of just like within a space of three seconds, I could lose mindfulness. I was like, wow. And then one day while I was washing my hands, I noticed the intention to look up. And that was where I just saw this was a habit. You know, just like this was a habit to look at myself in the mirror while I was washing my hands. And when I saw that, you know, that, that being able to see that intention sort of, I don't know how it worked, but it, it just created the conditions for more continuity in that place. And so curiosity about, you know, where do you lose awareness? What happens there? We also often lose awareness in states of mind. You know, boredom. Depression. Anger. I think we have our favorite patterns that we tend to get lost in. And again, you know, there's a possibility of being curious. You know, it's like the, the pattern here or of exploration to, to begin to see where do we go out. First, the practice is where do we wake up? You know, we, we learn about these patterns, our familiar patterns of getting lost, because we find ourselves waking up over and over again in a fantasy that was to, you know, counteract boredom or in a a low-level grade of depression or fighting with somebody in our minds. We see over and over again, you know, our patterns as we wake up. And just that kind of beginning to get familiar. Okay, waking up into depression or waking up into a fantasy that's pulling us away from boredom, touching into the boredom. As we begin to get familiar with those states of mind, through waking up into them, then we can start to see how they have a sticky quality. You know, we can begin to see them arising. This is again in the Satipatthana Sutta, the the, um, teaching around the hindrances, is notice when they arise. So getting familiar with, you know, the the way boredom arises. You know, one of the the, um, things I found around... um, boredom in my own practice is like, you know, sometimes experience would get really ordinary. It's like it's not so special anymore. Kind of neutral. And the mind would just kind of sink a little bit. 
So again, when we notice we're kind of in the terrain of one of these familiar states, we can like increase the curiosity, kind of like I did with the practice around the mirror. Just increase the curiosity. What happens? Why is this so sticky? Investigating, you know, where is it that there's a pull to get lost in this? And again, getting familiar with the feeling of mindfulness as we get more familiar with what it's like to be mindful, we can begin to feel mindfulness weakening and get curious about that. What, what's happening there when mindfulness is weakening? One more example of exploring mindfulness getting lost. And this one I really, I really wanted to bring into this talk. I'm having to edit here as I go. <laughs> but this one I really want to bring in because at this point in the retreat, this is happening for some of you. I've heard you talking about this in the, in the meetings. Um, as the practice starts to deepen, sometimes awareness gets lost, not, not because we're like, you know, losing our interest or losing our, um, you know, motivation to practice, but because the practice is deepening, sometimes the conditions are unfamiliar enough that mindfulness gets lost. So I'd like to describe a couple of ways that this can happen. One is um, what we sometimes call the purity purification cycle. There are times, and I know several of you have described this, you know, that it's like you have a, a, a few hours or an afternoon maybe, or even longer, some of you have described, of, you know, just this, like, flow of awareness and open heart. And, you know, it's like, it's like one of those great how can I not just see this and why would the mind do anything else, you know, just in that flow? And then suddenly, you know, it's like anger comes back and, you know, something happens in the dining room and it's like everything explodes. It's like, what's going on, you know? So sometimes that kind of pattern, this is a very common pattern. So if you've experienced that, you're right on track. You know, it's like the, one of the things that happens is that the, as the heart kind of opens, sometimes it creates the conditions for old, those l- more latent tendencies that are kind of underneath, things that maybe have been Things have had, we've had a lid put on for a while. That they sense that there's some room to come out. And so it's, in effect, it's kind of like the, the purity has created the conditions for, you know, something new to come, something that's been buried to come into our awareness. And that, you know, we've le- been learning that the, it's the mindfulness, the coming into consciousness that's where it can be freed, where it can be released. So it's not, you know, it, it's not that it's necessarily, a, it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be a problem. It's just, this is the flow, purity, purification. Another way I've seen this, you know, mindfulness getting lost as the practice settles is it's, um, we kind of get familiar perhaps with a way that mindfulness feels with particular kinds of experience, particular kinds of objects, like, like being in a particular flow where you're just, you're noticing so easily sights and sounds and smells and body sensations and another sound. And it's just like this flow, kind of a nice uh, flow of experience. And, and so there's a kind of a flow of mindfulness there. And yet what often happens with mindfulness as it, gets more continuous, and I'm going to use a hand gesture here, so if you have your eyes closed, you could, might open your eyes. So mindfulness is meeting objects, and uh, as we um, practice, 
the mindfulness, as it gets more and more continuous, it seems as though the mindfulness kind of gets interested in maybe new things, different set of stuff, you know, maybe some subtler level of experience. And so the mindfulness is actually kind of dropped down to be interested in something else, but our agenda has us up here looking for those, you know, various things that we're familiar with and how much fun it was being up here. And mindfulness will get lost because we're not tracking what it's connecting with. So one time, I'll give an example of this kind of thing. Um, I was paying attention to the breath. And um, I could see, I could see that the attention was right with the breath. And then at some point I began feeling like the mindfulness weekend and kind of just leave the breath. And at that point, there was enough presence of mind in seeing the mindfulness weekend. I was like, oh, come back to the breath. It would weaken. And there was, again, the agenda. Oh, come back to the breath. At some point in this, it happened quite a few times, this kind of weakening of the attention to the breath. At some point, I recognized the attention was weakening with the breath, but the mindfulness was there. I didn't know exactly what it was doing, but I knew I was aware. And instead of having the agenda to say, okay, come back to the breath, it's like, well, I'm mindful, let's see what it's doing. And there, it, 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 like, it dropped into a different level of experience, kind of a, a at that point, I had been mostly attending and knowing very, you know, simple, precise objects like, you know, breath and body. And what this opened me to was like this vastness. So it was a different kind of experience. The mind was being drawn to in that continuity. And my agenda had me want, like, you know, come back, come back, come back. So sometimes, you know, sometimes as the mind begins to uh, weaken its attention to something, we can be curious, like, okay, what is it doing? What's happening there? And so there's different experiences that we can have as when mindfulness is strong. And this is another Another piece, um, you know, if we find our way to a certain kind of clarity of mindfulness, really clear experience, precise precision of knowing, we can have the sense or the idea, that's it. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. And that's one way that it feels when mindfulness is continuous. I don't know how many ways there are, it feels, as mindfulness is continuous because I've experienced many different ones now that I've kind of let go of trying to find a particular state, but rather just be curious about, oh, awareness, awareness is here, what's this? What's this? You know, those, those vast states or foggy states or... States of low energy. Awareness can be very clear of something that is very fuzzy. And so it can, it can have a very different feeling than what we might normally think of as clarity. So exploring these, well, the mindfulness itself, the coming and going of mindfulness, getting familiar with the quality of mindfulness itself, really begins to support the continuity. It supports that stability of mindfulness 
which is what creates the power of mindfulness. That's where it becomes an enlightenment factor. Mindfulness joined with wisdom, steady. The steadiness of that. And that is onward leading because the perspective of wise mindfulness has that kind of alignment with our organism of wanting to head towards well-being. And so it's onward leading to these other factors of awakening and to freedom. There's so much, so much to see. Sometimes Joseph would say, the Dharma is vast. It's amazing what we can see. If we let go of our ideas of what it's supposed to be like or how I'm supposed to be doing anything and just be curious about aware of what? What's here? So let's sit for a moment. Are you aware? What's awareness? Thank you for your attention. And uh, we'll have walking and then the chanting at nine again.